Chris. Welcome to Speak and Destroy. Speak and Destroy is the first podcast featuring interviews about Metallica. And I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. Before we jump into this episode, I would just like to remind you that there are two really great ways you can support this podcast. The first is to become a patron on Patreon, where you have access to bonus episodes called for my interview archives with Metallica-adjacent people like Glenn Danzig, Randy Blythe from Lamb of God, and even Kirk Hammett, who is actually in Metallica. You can also go into Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and write a nice little review. Those really do help. You can find Speaking Destroy on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find Speaking Destroy on YouTube. And you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out some of our other shows like No Prize from God, featuring conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between, and Pop Curse, musicians talking movies. My guest this episode, Erland, is perhaps best known as the former frontman for Cavour Attack, and now fronts his own eponymously titled band. We talk about his upbringing in a small village in Norway, population 1,000, milking cows while listening to Slipknot, discovering Metallica, meeting James Hatfield, and touring with Metallica for eight months. So here it is, my conversation with Erland Hjelvik of Hjelvik. This is Speak and Destroy. first time i like really discovered music was with uh, michael jackson mm -hmm. when i was around six years old i discovered his music videos uh with like eddie murphy in them and then mccallie culkin and i really liked those that was like the first uh artist i was a real fan of was michael jackson and but that didn't make me want to be an artist or anything like that um but it made me interested in music i think and uh, i started taking piano lessons when i was like seven or eight and then uh, i had to learn music with like uh, going through like a beatles uh, songbook so it ruined beatles for me for many years <laughs> right <laughs> learning to play beatles songs on the <laughs> piano <laughs> and i guess it was when i discovered metal is when i really started wanting to like that was uh, when I started to want to perform myself and be a singer was when I discovered metal. Like, I discovered Metallica first. That was, like, the first metal band oh, wow. uh, I fell in love with. And then, like many people. Mm -hmm. And then I got into new metal uh, bands like Slipknot and that kind of stuff. Limp Bizkit, whatever. And then getting into black metal uh, later on, uh, eventually, 
like uh, Dimmu Burger and Immortal, those types of bands, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. So, yeah. yeah. What was that first Metallica moment? What did you What did you hear first? What did you see first? Yeah, uh, I think uh, the first time I discovered them was probably through my brother, who's like uh, nine years older than me. Uh, I can't remember an exact moment, but he was just listening to like a lot of Metallica and grunge bands and stuff. And so that was just always kind of around, but it didn't like really click with me until um, like friends in school started listening to it. And then I just got exposed to it more like, uh, I think uh, Load and Reload, they were like the albums that all the boys in the class, in my class were listening to. And then I just... uh, yeah, I started getting really into those albums and then just kind of working my way back through the Black album and then listening to yeah, Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning and Kill Em All, working my way backwards. So mm-hmm. so I think I was like 12 years old when, yeah, at the time when I like discovered them for myself. So. Yeah, and that that's a conversation that comes up often about Metallica and, and other bands who are established and have a catalog is, you know, we all come in to the picture at various points of discovery and it's nice when there's that, you can reverse engineer, uh, you know, everything that came before and, and the evolution of it and continue to discover things as you go back and further. And, you know, similar with filmmakers, I was uh, speaking with um, a director a few days ago and we got to talking about Quentin Tarantino and he said that Kill Bill was actually the first Tarantino film that he saw. And I was, you know, on the one hand you think, Oh wow, that's so late. But then on the other hand, you think, Oh man, but how exciting to go backwards and get to see all of those great films that preceded it and watch the, the evolution of, uh, you know, a particular artist and their art. And yeah, that that's fun with Metallica also. I, you know, uh, the garage days EP was the current release when I discovered the band. Which, when oh, you really? think about yeah. it in retrospect, is a really strange way to come into a band. An EP as opposed to an album and all cover songs as opposed to originals. Um, yeah. But that led me to Master of Puppets, and then I went backwards, and then uh, a fan by the time And Justice for All was coming out. So, yeah, it's nice to have uh, when a band has a rich catalog and a diverse catalog. Because if you're coming in in the Load Reload era, the black album's going to sound considerably different from those records. And then the further back you go, you know, it's just going to, you're going to see those uh, leaps and evolution each stage of the way. And, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I often liken it to going through a, a filmmaker's disco- or a filmography where, you know, you see <laughs> the shining for the first time. And then somebody's like, Oh, you got to watch, uh, you know, 2001 and you got to watch, you know, yeah. just uh, yeah, it's a really it's a really fun part of the adventure, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a great feeling when you find something new you fall in love with, and then you discover like, oh, there's tons more of this uh, stuff. So then mm-hmm. you have some have your work cut out for you, just diving backwards into the catalog or whatever. So yeah, I love it when that when that happens. I can't remember the last thing uh, that happened for me now, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. agree. Yeah, I, I, David Elveson put it really well uh, when he was on the podcast. Um, you know, he said we're all 
branches from the Metallica tree. And when you, you know, look into, you, you expand outward from the big four and then all the thrash bands and all the various subgenres and things that have developed since, you know, Metallica is at the root of it. It is sort of the, the, the tree trunk, you know, you can go, Oh, Megadeth yeah. was started by a guy that was a Metallica. And, and one of the guys from Slayer was in Megadeth and one of the, you know, and then it's just like it all, uh, unfurls, you know, and, and you start to see, um, this sort of tapestry that, that these bands and the subculture gives to us. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know if I would be into metal if I didn't discover Metallica first. So right. I'd, I'd be doing something totally different. Yeah. They're, um, kind of the quintessential gateway band for yep. many people. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is, uh, not only a, a cool place to be in and, and kind of an awesome responsibility, but something that they also, you know, it's a certain power that they have that they wield with a spectacular integrity and kindness in so much as how they pay it forward to the bands who influence them and the bands who are coming up. Like when your old band was coming up that they mm -hmm. pay attention to and, you know, whether it's Avenged Sevenfold or the sword, you know, at all, at all different yeah. levels, they're constantly exposing their audience to other bands as opposed to this like tight protective you know us 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 like they're very i know comfortable in yeah. their own skin enough to be able to share all these other bands with people yeah it's i think that's like yeah it's so cool that uh they're super nice guys all of them but i think that's like one of the great things that they do is uh it's like they're at that stature they're the biggest bands uh, band in the world they wouldn't have to you know they don't have to pay attention to any smaller bands you know but uh, uh, it's really cool that they just kind of pay it. Uh, is it pay it backwards or pay it forward? Pay, I don't know. Pay it forward. <laughs> pay it forward. Yeah. Okay. Although I feel like they pay it backward yeah, and they forward. They pay it forward and, <laughs> you know, they help out younger bands and, yeah. you know, expose uh, their fans to new types of bands that they probably never would have uh, listened to if it wasn't for Metallica introducing it. Like, yeah. in our case, they brought us on a eighth month uh, long tour and we got to play for you know crazy sized audiences like audiences of like 20,000 people or whatever so so it's insane but uh, it's just so cool that they yeah bring a band like us that uh, you know aren't particularly huge or anything but uh, yeah they just uh, you know bring along the bands that they themselves personally like and <laughs> yeah I think it's awesome that they gave us that chance. So what was the evolution for you in going from becoming a fan of this stuff to then uh, playing in bands? I mean, I often hear that learning piano, I, I wish I had learned it when I was young, that it's uh, as much as kids hate piano lessons, uh, yeah, those who grow up so. to be musicians uh, end up being really <laughs> thankful that they have that foundation because it, it helps you understand so many other instruments and and just songs in general um at what point did you were you then able to uh turn your attention towards being in rock bands yeah um i think what wanted to what made me want to sing for myself or scream mm -hmm. is uh i think uh like listening to sepultura i think was like the first band that uh metal band that I discovered that was uh, 
having these uh, crazy types of vocals and mm -hmm. I saw the music video for Roots and it, I just thought it was totally crazy and it blew me away. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that just kind of that aggression really spoke to me as a young teenager and uh, uh, also also yeah, big Metallica fans. <laughs> also big Metallica fans. I've had yeah, yeah. Uh, I've had Andreas on speaking destroy and Igor also. <laughs> yeah, on. that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and then I got into like Slipknot was my favorite band for a few years, uh, probably from when I was like fourteen to seventeen or something, and that made me want to start singing myself because, yeah, I just it seemed like really cathartic to me to just be screaming like that, and I was like really fascinated by it, and I wanted to learn how to do it myself and not just you know it's a different feeling from just playing keyboards in the band which i'd been doing before that like that wasn't totally doing it for me so so this was like a different way to be performing music and i, I guess it just really spoke to me because i guess i i just had a lot of built up aggression i suppose growing up in a small village in uh, norway <laughs> so i started practicing uh, when I was working uh, milking cows, uh, wow. which is the job I started doing when I was like 13, 14 years old. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So it was a good place to practice while yeah. I was milking them because it was pretty loud and I was uh, working there by myself. So so I did that and then I started a band with a few friends in Vicodol and actually uh, the guitarist from Color Talk, Bjarte, mm -hmm. who I later started that band with, he joined in a few years later when I started high school to play drums. So uh, I had that band before Queller Talk, and yeah, that's the first band that I was a singer in. So, um, You know, what's, uh, what's interesting is I love, I love, man, I love that visual of <laughs> milking cows in the small village and being, being able to, to, you know, you know, the cows as your captive audience, I guess. Um, Hearing you rehearse. Yeah, I think they were louder than me, so I don't think they minded. <laughs> That's so great. Oh, <laughs> uh, that is so great. Um, so, with tell me, you know that that makes me infinitely even more curious. You know, of course, uh, in the states, metal fans in particular, we think of black metal as Norway's big uh, cultural export to the world. Um, my exposure. To Norwegian culture as a kid growing up in the middle of America in Indiana uh, was the band Aha, who were oh, yeah. like my favorite band uh, when I was in like sixth grade. Uh, to where you know they're they're remembered as one hit wonders here, but of course they were much more successful around the world and and continued to be. And mm -hmm. I was one of the people here that got into them via the one hit, got that first album, but then continued to follow them and was like buying 12 inch remix singles and you know keeping up with their records after that and what's what's funny is that uh, I had the an opportunity um, and I always feel like I'm saying his name wrong and I probably am but uh, Ison Ison from Emperor yeah uh, I had an opportunity to interview him a couple years ago and the first thing I brought up to him was aha <laughs> thinking yeah. that it was just gonna be this sort of you know and he went into a long thing about how they're one of his favorite pens ever and that there is a melody lifted from aha hidden somewhere in anthems to the welkin at dusk 
really? <laughs> and he challenged me to that. go and to find like, it. Yeah, I have to listen out for that next time. Yeah, and then a, and then a year or two after I had that conversation with him, he actually released an AHA cover. This was just a few months ago, and I felt I felt really in the know because I was like, ah, I knew, I knew he was a fan. But yeah, maybe you gave him the idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I hope. Yeah. But yeah, so with, with all of that, you know, uh, very limited uh, overview. Tell yeah, tell me about where you grew up specifically, and maybe how that the remote nature of it, or the the weather, or the the isolation, the farm life, whatever it is that tends to lend itself to the kind of art and that comes out of there. Um, yeah, you know, how how did all of that shape who you are? What was that like? Yeah. Uh, I lived, I grew up in a small village, uh, called Vikedal. Um, it's on the Southwest coast, uh, of Norway and it's a pretty small town. Like, uh, there's a thousand people living there and that is very small. There... <laughs> that's so... like a, that's like a, that's like a kill switch engaged concert amount of people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's like, yeah. Yeah. Less than. So, yeah. Uh, we moved there when I was six years old, and before that, I'd been growing up in uh, Holland, actually, and mm -hmm. in Rotterdam. Uh, my dad was working as a, yeah, like a sailor's uh, church uh, priest down there, and then ended up uh, moving back to Norway, and then we, yeah, he started working in Dikedal, and that's where, yeah, we stayed until, yeah, they still live there, and that's like my hometown. Wow. So, uh, yeah, pretty small place and really happy to have grown up there, like uh, beautiful nature, fjords and mountains. And, you know, like I got to do stuff like work on the farm, which I was uh, happy to have that experience. And like school was really good there because they were all like um, I had like good creative teacher and they were good at like letting you express yourself creatively. So it was like mm -hmm. always a lot of music in school and. I did. I was part of like marching bands and that kind of stuff, and yeah, so it was a good place to go to school too. And like they were supportive of, uh, you know, like that band that I was telling you about that I started when I was like fourteen or something mm -hmm. like that. So they were supportive of that, and we got to practice in the school too. Actually, just use it as a practice space. So that's amazing. Yeah, so that was great. Yeah. So as a uh, a town of you know a village of a thousand people uh, i know it's cliche to say oh everybody knows each other but was that kind of your experience like you even if you don't know someone's name you recognize their face everywhere you go <laughs> yeah yeah definitely it's yeah it's totally like that where everyone knows who you are and other way around so yeah it's uh it's pretty cozy to put it that way <laughs> yeah even though i might feel a little claustrophobic maybe but it's uh, i think it's a good thing too so one thing that I'm always yeah. envious of, uh, particularly when talking to metal musicians from any of the Nordic countries, any Scandinavia, you know, whether it's the guys in In Flames, uh, is is the uh, the music programs that exist in Scandinavia, uh, education wise, for kids. You know, I mean, like you said, not only it was encouraged where you were, and you were able to practice at your school. And I know a lot of the new wave of Swedish death metal bands started in high schools <laughs> because it was yeah. like that was their you know they had a class where it was like here's our class forming dark tranquility or whatever like um <laughs> very envious of that having grown up in an in an era and in a part of america uh that couldn't have been any 
further from that. You know, there was there were, creativity was discouraged and conformity was uh, was the yeah. mo. You had to figure it out on your own exactly, and 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 very very few teachers were were going. Oh, that's uh, you know. <laughs> that's an interesting t-shirt with a hand holding a bloody hammer that says kill them all. <laughs> you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, effort being made to understand anything outside yeah. of the norm. Well, I think it depends a lot on the type of teacher you get to, because mm. uh, there was definitely, I'm not saying it was all roses going to school either. Like it had its uh, bad sides too. Like, for example, we had like Christianity lessons and it was just the, I remember that when I was like seven and I was just reading to you straight from the Bible. Wow. <laughs> Which is, uh, I didn't, <laughs> yeah. Like what are you supposed to do with that information when you're <laughs> seven? Cause it doesn't even make any sense when you just read it straight from the book. Yeah. Yeah. So it really does. Yeah, as, yeah, as, that, as an adult, he, that thing going yeah. on too at the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, that... <laughs> I mean, you I might, you might as well read Shakespeare to a seven year old. Started black metal in the first place here. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you may as well, um, you know, play someone a film in a language that you don't speak. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a crazy, yeah. a crazy style of indoctrination. Yeah, and as you said, that yeah. that sort of makes you understand how black metal happens. <laughs> yeah, I was a lot more conformist, I guess, uh, like in the 90s. And yeah, I don't know. I was just, uh, I think like the Norway was a lot more Christian of uh, like, that was the state religion back then. And uh, I think a lot higher percentage of the people were like going to church and that was like the main religion. And I think uh, it was a lot more stifling or that kind of environment at the time. So I can understand why black metal came around as a counter reaction to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So at what point did you become aware that Metallica was aware of your old band because this was actually yeah. this was prior to playing shows with them and stuff, right? Yeah, uh, the first time I was aware of that was uh, we were on tour in America with Queller Talk, and yeah, who were we on tour with? I think we were on tour with Torch, and I know I'm forgetting a band now, but uh, a torch were there at least, and uh, we played in San Francisco, a place called Slims, mm -hmm. and I remember showing up there like early in the day and just uh, checking out the venue and stuff when we were loading in, mm -hmm. and uh, there was a chef uh, working there in the kitchen. Uh, he made really good food, like uh, Mexican lasagna and that kind of stuff, and he was telling me that. Uh, James Hetfield just called him and asked for a guest list. And I'm like, yeah, right. Well, <laughs> messing around or whatever. <laughs> so I didn't know the guy. And then uh, I didn't think more of it. But like that day was kind of lined up to be crazy to begin with because uh, they had approached us a few weeks prior to that about the uh, crown prince of Norway and, uh, his, uh, and the crown princess, uh, his wife. Uh, they wanted to attend the show because they were doing, I don't know, some official business in America. And oh, wow. He was a fan of uh, our band, and wow. he wanted to go see that show. So they made, like, arrangements, like his security team or whatever, mm -hmm. to make sure, uh, 
yeah, that was safe to go there and set things up. And like before the show, we had the interview with the Norwegian State Channel in the back alley behind Slims. They rolled up in the limo, and we had to <laughs> <laughs> we had like an interview. And uh, yeah, uh, and, 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 and what's what are the customs with royalty? Because I know, like you know, the Queen of England, it's like don't stand on this side and don't you know there's like there's like customs that you're supposed to observe is is that the case with norwegian royalty or is it more casual yeah the only thing i can think of is the addressing them in the third person but um mm. i don't they're not like the most uh, formal uh uh people or royal uh family as far as royalty goes i think i think they're a lot more relaxed than probably other countries in the world. So, yeah. So I think that's cool. You know, they're going to a Queller Talk concert. So, it's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How traditional can they be? At that uh, point? So, yeah. so, yeah. So, my point is that, like, the evening was pretty bizarre to begin with, or like pretty overwhelming and weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, just having an interview with them on the state channel, like, before the show. And then, uh, yeah, so we did that for a while, and then, you know, we started uh, playing the show. Like, I don't know what happened in between there. It's all kind of, like, fussy to me now, like, thinking back. But I just remember being on stage, like, performing, and I look to the right, and I see James Hetfield there, and he's just headbanging and really rocking out. And it's like, okay, this is just some weird dream that I'm in now. <laughs> so, so that was yeah, just like a crazy fever dream. Like I, it's really hard to describe because there were so many things happening at once. And Rob Flynn from Machine Head was there taking pictures too. So it's just like <laughs> kind of like a strange overload of things happening. That's <laughs> yeah. a that's a really yeah awesome show, and I just had a great time. And you know he was hanging out after the show talking to us so super nice guy and you know he was uh <laughs> yeah he put up with ha having everyone wanting to take pictures with him and that kind of stuff <laughs> sure. just being totally fanboys so so that was awesome yeah that's killer that's so killer and then uh do you remember much about the the conversations you had or i mean you know <laughs> questions you asked or or questions he asked or no, I can't remember anymore. Uh, I know one of the guys in the band like videotaped him and made him say something about our band so we could <laughs> use it for something. I don't think we did. <laughs> yeah, you're probably, like, we may never have this chance yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember what I said to him either. Just I was just I know I was being a horrible fanboy, and I was pretty drunk too from just. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the day's events really plus the day. show. Yeah, sure. Yeah, oh, that's a what. Yeah, what a crazy day! The Crown Prince and Princess, <laughs> state TV. Yeah, <laughs> and then so that's what Hetfield you can call and Flynn just work. hanging out. Yeah, yeah, that's a crazy. So that was day. insane. Um, so then, it, it, it at what point did you learn, or and how did you learn that there was now an opportunity uh, for you to go on tour with them? And, and was it presented originally as, hey, you're going to be doing like several months of this or, or did that come in incremental stages or how did all that? Yeah, um, I might be remembering this wrong, but I know they wanted us to play uh, that festival that they had. Mm. Um, yeah, Ryan Festival. At, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and we weren't able to do that because uh, of other festival commitments and stuff. So, so a little bummed out about that. Uh, but uh, but luckily we got to later on we got approached to do some Sonosphere uh, festival shows with them, where they were headlining all the Sonosphere shows uh, here mm-hmm. in Europe. Mm-hmm. It was basically Metallica festivals, and <laughs> yeah, they were headlining, and we got to play with uh, Children of Bottom and uh, nice. yeah, Allens and Chains and. Who else was it? Yeah, those three bands and uh, us. Okay. And uh, yeah, so we did like eight shows like that. So that was a really cool experience. And that was, yeah. I can't remember which year, probably like 2014 or 15, I think. 2014, I would guess. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to remember like the order of things happening, but I know we, yeah. Like, uh, I know James saw us at the Roskilde festival too, and was like posting video of us performing, but I didn't get to talk to him that day. Cause he had to run on stage right after we were playing. Mm. And then we had to leave like after watching just a few songs of theirs to go to the next show. But, uh, Oh yeah, it looks oh, like it looks like right. it was it was 2014. Um, yeah, yeah. And you're uh, doing the research now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I just I just I just pulled up uh, one of the ad mats. I'm trying yeah, to, it's to have some fact checking while we're talking about <laughs> this. Remember, it's a little fuzzy at times for um, sure. Yeah, Metallica, Alice in Chains, Mastodon. Does that sound right? Or was that a different year? Yeah. Um, that was 2014. That The headliners were uh, Maiden one night. It was the Prodigy on Friday, Maiden on Saturday, and Metallica on Sunday. Okay, that must be something else. But maybe it was... Well, maybe they... Because yeah. I know they also did Sonosphere shows. Um, that was when the Big Four shows happened. We played with like Ballbeat and stuff too, and I think that was like in Italy, and we played Poland and a bunch of places. So, yeah, that could have been a. <laughs> it's funny. I'm looking at ad mats now, and it's like here's Metallica headlining Sonosphere in 2011. So <laughs> yeah, they've yeah. <laughs> there were many years of Metallica and Sonosphere apparently. Yeah. Um, somewhere in there, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so those yeah, anyway. Sonosphere shows were like the first. Uh, kind of tour that we did with them even though it was only it was eight shows and then uh, a couple years later uh it was 2014 sorry uh, that was just a different one of the the admits i was looking at was a was a sonosphere date you guys didn't do but the ones you did were 2014 i'm looking at one right now that's uh metallic owls and chains airborne um yeah airborne too right so yeah okay sorry go on all right mystery solved we did it. <laughs> yeah, good to know. Because uh, I can't remember myself totally <laughs> like I said. So, yeah. And then we wound up uh, doing uh, our last big... Uh, no, it wasn't the last big European tour, but we did the first tour they did for uh, Hardwire to mm-hmm. Self-Destruct. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. We got to... It's an eight-month-long uh, tour divided into four parts. Huge tour. And... Yeah, that was really awesome. Just got treated really well. Like, uh, getting to play for 20,000 people every day and just the uh, amazing facilities. And 
crew being really great to us too like the metallica crew were helping us uh get things set up properly on stage and you know if we get to have sound checks that kind of stuff it's yeah just uh really thankful to uh get that experience and yeah it was pretty crazy because they have they have that uh, round stage you know mm -hmm. where you have people yeah. all around you so that yeah. was kind of uh that's the first time I've experienced uh, playing on the stage like that, where you kind of like have people around you, like you're uh, in the Coliseum or something. But uh, yeah, and you're and as a yeah. performer, you're you're having to figure out how to play to everyone, right, in the circle, as opposed to just kind of staring in one direction. <laughs> yeah. Did you no, find yourself moving around a lot, a lot yeah. more? Yeah. No, but I, I really started uh, liking it eventually, even though at first I was uh, really thrown off by it because I have my thing that I've been doing for years and, mm -hmm. you know, you're used to facing the crowd straight on and then <laughs> suddenly you have people at all angles. But, uh, yeah, it's just really cool and you get to move around a lot more. So so I ended up really liking it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um so let's talk about each of the guys. Did you did you have an opportunity through the eight months of touring? Because, you know, one thing a lot of fans don't necessarily understand is even when you tour with a band for that long, there's, you know, schedules are different and things are hectic and travel and all of that. You don't necessarily get to see much of everyone all the time. Um, but o over the course of all that time, did you did you get um, a few interactions and experiences with, with each of the guys? Oh, yeah. Uh, they were pretty good at, like... Uh... You know, they would invite us to dinners and uh, they would have parties once in a while, that kind of stuff. So, so it was really fun. Uh, yeah, super nice guys. And, uh, you know, like when we're having dinners, like they come and hang out with us. And, you know, there's it's uh, crazy how many people are involved in uh, mm. that kind of tour. It's like, uh, you know, I grew up in the village of thousand people, but <laughs> there's like 2,000 people that's <laughs> there every day working on this whole tour. Yeah. So it's like a village. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, but they, they were really awesome. And like, yeah, like I told you, having dinner and parties and they come and spend time with you. And yeah, like we got to do uh, interviews with uh, Lars Ulrich has this uh, podcast that mm -hmm. he does. And uh, yeah. got to be part of that. And uh yeah, no, lots of cool stuff that they do. So, very nice. Um, I would imagine, uh, you know, given your exit from the band and the timeline and everything there, I mean, are there as much of a great, amazing memory as the Metallica touring has to be? Is it also bittersweet? Is it mixed up with some, you know, less than less than awesome? feelings or you know um yeah sure uh like things aren't great uh uh with the bands at that time but um you know like i just think about the cool stuff that happened like uh, yeah yeah great times uh hanging out with metallica and uh playing the shows were really amazing even though you know off stage things weren't uh exactly perfect but uh just playing the shows was still like a blast for me and yeah. like yeah it's one of the coolest shows i've ever done so i'm still yeah I'm j i just think about the positive stuff when i look back at it so yeah it's like a kind of a, a life lesson right of uh you know things are 
things are difficult internally, but externally the greatest stuff is happening. So, you know, like just the way that life can be right. And the, yeah, yeah. The sweet and the sour yeah. at the same time. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I was just focusing on doing the shows the best I could and yeah. So, so that was cool. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, uh, what you're up to and let's, let's talk about your current music and, and what's happening. And, uh, you know, obviously everyone's had to adjust to how things are done and, and work gets done and things are presented and released and all that over the last year or so. But, uh, you know, that aside, um, yeah, uh, catch us up. Tell me what's, uh, what's on the horizon. Yeah, uh, so I started a new band uh, after I left uh, Queller Talk. I started writing my own music, and yeah, I guess I had a couple of months off after I left my old band, and then I just slowly started getting the urge to make my own music and getting inspired, and then I started a solo band called Yelvik, and yeah, released my first album uh, November last year. Mm-hmm. Should have been on tour right now, but for <laughs> obvious reasons, uh, that's not happening, <laughs> which is okay. Uh, I guess it's, you know, it is what it is. I'm, uh, there's good things and bad things to, you know, this whole COVID situations uh, to me anyway. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm just making the best of it and um, did what I could at home from home, just, uh, you know, promoting the album. And uh, yeah, it's just been really busy with, uh, ever since the recording just with the whole process of launching a new band and mm-hmm. uh you know building websites and uh getting things set up and uh yeah that kind of stuff putting the album out because in norway my wife and i we have our own uh, record label too so there's been some extra work involved with uh, that so so it's been good to have some extra t- time and not just because it would be a lot more stressful if we had to get ready for tour at the same time. But yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'm really uh, eager to start playing shows again, though. It's uh, been weird that I haven't been on stage for two and a half or three years now. So. Wow, wow, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with Yeldik, when you have an opportunity to, uh, you know, take all of your past experience and and figure out what you wanted to do, what you didn't want to do what were some of your guiding principles as far as the kind of band that you wanted to have, like what it should sound like, how it should come across, uh, you know, what you want to spend your time doing that makes you happy. What what were some, what were some things that were essential to make sure the band had? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like really put forth a lot of rules for myself. Uh, I just wanted to make the music that I like. So, so that's, you know, I'm a metalhead, so <laughs> so uh, that's like the one thing I just uh, thought to myself is that it's gonna be metal. But uh, I don't know if you listen to the album, but mm-hmm. it's uh, like inspired by like all the type of, types of metal that I love, like everything from thrash metal to black metal mm-hmm. to even some doom metal and have 80s heavy metal. So. So all those influences all, are all things there. I love as well, particularly Doom. <laughs> I think Doom is my favorite subgenre if I had to pick. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I really like Doom too. So, yeah, so I wanted all those things to like come through uh, more clearly, I suppose. And 
yeah, it just felt really good just to write music uh, just by myself. Like, uh, I've been part of writing music before in Quiller Talk, but uh, time I wrote everything by myself. And so that was just a really liberating process. And it was cool to find out that I could pull it off once I started mm-hmm. working with recording software and, you know, using keyboards and guitars and then figuring uh yeah, creating songs and like the first song that I made was, uh, uh, yeah, Kveldulv, which is the eighth song on the album. And then the second song I made is North Star. And, that, and then around that time, I just figured, okay, I'm going to make a whole album now. And <laughs> that's how that band started. You'd found your North Star, <laughs> literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. So, I like to ask this uh, of of many guests. Yeah, well, as as someone who uh, plays a lot of instruments too, if you're warming up and you're just kind of messing around, and Metallica starts to come out of your fingers, what what are some what's most common? What are go tos that you're you know riffing around on? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I would, would probably be something from uh, Ride the Lightning uh, era or Kill 'Em All. I think if I'm making riffs or whatever, like on the um, the album that I made, uh, Welcome to Hell. There's uh, the first song on the album is called Father War, and like after that uh, big solo part in the middle, there's the part that really reminds me of uh, yeah, Ride the Lightning. So. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, just the bass and stuff. So, yeah, I'm sure there's loads of other things I've kind of uh, been inspired by Metallica by, even if it's on a more subconscious level, too, maybe. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So if you were to rank the Metallica albums in terms of your personal favorites, um, where would you where would you put each of them next to each other? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh so I would start with, uh, yeah, I would put Master of Puppets uh, number one and Ride the Lightning number two, uh, Justice for All number three, Kill 'Em All number four, and yeah, Black Album number five. And really? I really, I really like all the albums they put out. Um, yeah, maybe I didn't give Lulu a fair chance. I haven't really listened to it. <laughs> We don't. We, we don't really well, the, the, I was going to say we don't have to count that one <laughs> because it's yeah, uh, that's, that's a different band. It's Metallica yeah, plus I, I Lou Reed. <laughs> yeah, and whatever. It's uh, cool that they experiment. I yeah, think anyway. I'm glad it exists, but um, it's not for me. Uh, (laughs) but yeah, otherwise I'm like you. Otherwise I, I, I celebrate the whole catalog and I, and particularly hardwired, I think is, um, man, it's a really great sort of all encompassing, you know, some of the, you know, it's got the ferocity and the old school Mm -hmm. vibe that death magnetic resurrected, but then it also has a lot of the texture and the soul and the nuance that I think they explored in the nineties. Um, I agree. It's a nice blend I, of of their. Whole I like that sound. album a lot too, and especially like because uh, we were touring with them, uh, you know, when they were playing mostly songs from that album. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
Yeah, a lot of the songs really sound awesome live. Uh, yeah, like uh, Halo on Fire. I remember I was one of my favorites uh, of theirs uh, when they played the live. And yeah, uh, Atlas Rise and Spit Out the Bones. Like just uh, awesome, lots of awesome uh, live tracks uh, on mm -hmm. it. And yeah, so, so that's really cool. I think it's a great album. So I'm pretty excited to see what they got in store next. Oh, abs absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and the best and, thing about this COVID stuff is that you have all these albums uh, coming out soon. Everyone's so working many. on albums. Yeah, <laughs> I I manage a producer, and that's been yeah one of the there's a lot of you know blessing and a curse about this whole situation, and that's been one of the things in his case. Like he's been busy constantly <laughs> because yeah. everyone's making records, so there's been no shortage of uh, you know mixing to yeah, do I, and all that sort of stuff. I think it's good. For people to take a step back and then, you know, like personally, like my creative uh, juices really started flowing or they started flowing after I, you know, left my old band and wasn't like, uh, you know, like I wasn't in a band anymore. And then that really triggered my creativity. So I think uh, this Corona stuff is doing the same for, you know, most people when they're just kind of forced to uh, isolate a little and uh, just kind of be by themselves kind of absolutely and i think mm -hmm. uh yeah like like anything there's of course there's a horrific tragic downside to the whole thing in terms of the loss of life and yeah. the economy and all of that but but there are there are many ways that uh you can find to to thrive in this situ situation whether it's recentering yourself or uh, you know taking a step yeah. back uh, forcibly, but but still having to take a step back and, and catch your breath. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's definitely been an upside to that. And I think for creative people especially, because um, you don't have anything to do except either consume art or create art while you're yeah. holed up inside. So, Yeah, so I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm really looking forward to all the albums that's, that are going to be coming out uh, over the next year or two or whatever maybe three years even. yeah <laughs> have you thought yeah. about how you want to present the new band live i mean since you've had all this time <laughs> yeah uh... <laughs> to get ready in terms yeah. of um you know what what that'll look like in the live setting have you do you have yeah ideas right of that? now it just feels like some weird fantasy to be talking about it because uh <laughs> you know we're planning on uh, doing a bunch of shows this summer but now that's even looking kind of uh uh, yeah, I'm skeptical of stuff. I am too, and every every and I understand the inclination for folks to reschedule and postpone as opposed to cancel. But every time I see, oh, this tour got moved from here to here, I'm just like, I, don't, I mean, yeah. <laughs> can't we just say it's all on hold until <laughs> until we know what's up? Yeah. At this yeah. point, I don't want to do anything until I see someone successfully pull off a normal, decent tour. So yeah. So uh, hopefully, you know, next year that's going to be possible, I hope, or even this fall. But, yeah. yeah Fingers I... crossed. Uh, but, yeah, uh, what I foresee uh, from my live show, uh, yeah, I have great guys in the band, so they're all going to be part of uh, playing the shows, of course. So I'm looking forward to playing uh, live with them. Uh, really great guitarists and a uh, great drummer and, yeah, great bass player. Uh, so that's cool. Um, yeah, I just wanted to be like uh, 
an awesome 80s heavy metal show. Uh, I'm sure he's seen pictures of me where, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I have a... I have a cape and stuff, and mm-hmm. I just, you know, like, I try to uh, like the coolest bands that I personally like. Uh, that's bands that have, like, a whole package. I think, yes. uh, yeah, like, uh, black. that's probably a reason why I like black metal is because mm-hmm. it's, like, also, uh, when it comes to cover art and what the guys in the band look like, it's just, uh, you know, every uh, piece is a you know fitting together and it's uh yeah it's uh i think like ghost is a new band that's really successful of doing that too and mm-hmm. uh, another great band and uh yeah same with merciful fate and king diamond uh, of course and uh yeah so i just uh want my show to be like reminiscent of bands like that and i want to have lots of pyro and uh smoke and atmosphere so so that's what i'm gonna go for so yeah. i'll do my best to make it uh, a show to remember yeah i'm a big fan of theatricality and uh, imagery and all of that you know whether it's the misfits and sam hain and danzig um mm-hmm. to, as you said yeah. Merc- merciful fate king diamond ghost um yeah i'm a big appreciator of of that and 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 i'm like you i think that that's you know uh, at the risk of sounding like a poser i don't know that i would love you know, Transylvanian hunger or blaze on the Northern skies mm-hmm. as much as I do. If, if the, uh, the cover art wasn't so intrinsically tied to the, the vibe and the mysteriousness yeah. and coolness of it, you know, it's not to say I only like it because of the cover, but that's definitely, it's the whole package. Like it all. Yeah, you know, I know it's, uh, it's a you mood. It's like with food, you eat with your eyes too. So I think it's exactly <laughs> the same thing with music. I always end up comparing music to food whenever I talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I back it. I'm a big, I'm a big I'm, fan of that also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it always works to compare it to some food analogy when you talk about music. Yeah. Ever since you said Mexican lasagna, I've been hungry. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. I'm hungry too.